Welcome to the Weight Loss Podcast, where we offer solutions to the obstacles you face when it comes to achieving your health and fitness goals. As a married couple who's lost a combined weight of 100 kilograms and 11 clothes sizes, our raw, real, and relatable stories will show you the path you must walk to achieve, and more importantly, maintain the results you know you can reach, because we know it works. So get ready to share the success and show the results with your hosts, Matt and Courtney. Hello and welcome back to season nine of the Weight Loss Podcast. I'm joined as always by Matt. Hello, I'm joined as always by Courtney. We've never done one by ourselves actually, have we? So we're always doing it together. Uh, I did I did a couple of, I think one interview a number oh, of years yeah. ago with Justin, with just me and him. Yes, yes, but yeah. yeah. Mm. Other than interviews. Yeah, we've always done them together. Yeah, no, nah, you stuck with me, love. Sorry. Mm. Yes, so welcome to today's episode, which is all around my about you big challenges. Yes. Yep. So we're gonna pretty much run it similar to what we did for the previous episode, discussing my biggest challenges, where I'm going to take the reins and talk about you, dear. So you've written out a list of, of the biggest challenges that you faced along the way with your with your weight loss journey so far. Mm-hmm. Now I should ask: Is there any specific order to this, or just what's come to mind? Because I did mine chronologically because my OCD is yeah. out of control. No, no, I've not done it chronologically. So okay. just listed in terms of what came to mind. What, what, yeah, it's not necessarily these happened in the timeline of my life. Okay, fair enough. I reckon we do very similar to how we did last time where, you know, get you to talk about what the issues are, how they've affected you. But then, you know, the way we like to do things here at the Weight Loss Podcast, don't just give me problems, give me solutions. Yes. So, as you talk about how these things have affected you and how they've held you back, we'll also discuss how you've either moved on with them or dealt with them or improved at them and, you know, tips you'd give to to someone in a similar position. Yeah. What do you think? Love it. So, let's let's lay straight into it and we'll start with the first one because, hey, this is a news flash. Can I actually, just before, sorry... Um, I should have put it on our, on your list. I Just a disclaimer before we get into the list, there is not one specific one for my anxiety that I go through and that I have suffered with because a lot, like a, um, a, quite a few of the things on the list are happening because of my anxiety, if that makes sense. So I didn't make anxiety and I've spoken a couple of times in previous episodes here and there not a lot but I have mentioned the fact that I have had pretty high functioning anxiety since I was a teenager but I didn't make it a specific challenge on its own because it feeds into a lot of the challenges I'm going to speak about. That being said, is it still worth having it as a separate one? Is it <laughs> is it big enough to be that? Well we'll touch on it maybe at the end. In yeah, after I've t- talked about each of these. All right, fair enough. Any other disclaimers worth mentioning? <laughs> no, I think that's it. Okay. 
Well, let's start with the first one. Breaking news. You've written here, I hate working out. I, yeah. Really? You would never have known? Tell me more. Well, I dislike working out <laughs> a lot. Um, Do you dislike it as much now in 2023 as you did when I first met you in 2012? Yeah. Actually, I think it's probably worse. <laughs> really? Sometimes. Yeah, because I think when I first started really getting into weightlifting and things like that, it was sort of new and it was a challenge. Honeymoon phase? Yeah. Mm. And now it's it's just like it's not new and it's it's still a challenge in terms of well, heavy shit's heavy shit. Yeah, you, you're always trying to beat your previous um, best performance, mm. but it's not a challenge as in you're learning something new and you're getting good at it and you're learning and that sort of thing. The grind. So it definitely would hate it as much as I always have, <laughs> yes. What do you hate about it? I just dislike the whole thing. I dislike the time that I put into it. I dislike um, the pain. I dislike... Um, the 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 repeat reps after reps repetition. Yep, I dislike all of it. However, it's not saying that there aren't good things about it. What good things are there? Well, I do like leaving feeling like I've accomplished something, so that's a plus. I do like. Do you feel like you've accomplished something when you when you wrap it up each session? Yes. Yeah. And what 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 have you accomplished? I think sometimes it might just be as simple as in my head. I feel like, oh, good, I've ticked that off for the week. Like it's a box ticked. That would be on the lower end of the accomplished feeling. But do you like to do lists? Yeah. Do you like checking off to do lists? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So for me, it's sort of because working out is part of my non negotiables for the week. For me, it's just sometimes it's simple as a satisfying feeling that I've done it and it's ticked off. Other times, you know, I might be really feeling like I had a really good workout where I was able to really be present, if that makes sense, and like... Present? Yeah, in the workout. As in you didn't just go through the motions? Yeah, yeah. That's a real thing. Because that's a real – yeah, absolutely. Mm. And sometimes I feel like I'm doing that with my workouts. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Tell me more. Well, I don't think you ever – like for how often I work out, I don't think I would I would definitely be lying if I sat here and said every workout I'm super present and I'm super switched on and I kill it. No, it's just not going to happen for me. So what's the difference between those where you, when, where you do and those when you don't? I think for me it's a definitely a mindset thing, but I think I just get a, a higher uh, sense of satisfaction when I feel like I've come out of it where I was super present and I remember like I, fe- I felt like I crushed the little things, like my breathing I was really good at. Like I was really present and feeling the muscles that I was supposed to be working. Um, I feel like I was able to really focus on – my progression with my weights or, yeah, my posture or I really was switched on with that, on that workout. Um, that's what I mean by present, I think. And it's not saying that the other workouts, my my breathing isn't good or my posture isn't good. It's just that I probably walk out not thinking 
that I paid attention to it. Maybe you didn't have to. Maybe I didn't have to. But I do like the sense of leaving with that accomplishment of feeling like, you know what, I really felt like I crushed that. I know, And I can look back and be like, yeah, I know my breathing was switched on. I know my posture was really good. I mm. know that I that I thought about my progression of my weights. You know, I really gave it a lot of thought and, and put a lot of effort into that workout, whereas sometimes I'm just maybe emotionally, physically drained and I just want to get in there and get it done and my brain isn't switched on to those little things. Is there a pattern where there are things that happen or things that you do prior to having a training session where you just kick ass? It's a good question. Is there a pattern? I'm, I'm good at questions. There probably would be a pattern. There's a pattern for most things. Okay. So it's just recognizing the pattern probably more so. Um, I would be guessing because I've never really thought about it, but I think if I'm guessing, I would probably – if I'm going to try to figure out the pattern, I'd probably start to look at what da- what time of day. Is there a pattern with the time of day that I'm working out that I'm coming out having that more fulfilled feeling? Is it in the morning? Is it at night? Maybe there's a pattern there. I'm not sure. I haven't really looked into that because I do switch up my days. I'm not someone who works out only in the morning or only in the afternoon. I sort of switch it up depending on what my week schedule looks like that week. Um, so I probably have to really have a look at that and really feel see whether th- that made a difference. I think also just your, your simple mindset things like stress, anxiety, um, I'd have to look at those things and just see if they're also impacting. It's worth it. Yeah. Even just for at, at worst case scenario, you, you've got information about yourself. Yeah. I think those those would be my big things with weights, but I've never – I don't think I'll ever get used to the feeling of cardio or really enjoy it. Fair. Would Which you, is fine. Would you say you're consistent with exercise? Yes. How long, how long would you say you've been consistent for? I don't know. That's a hard question. I'm just getting warmed up here. <laughs> You've got a better memory than me. I do. Um, how long would you say? I don't. I don't think until I really uh, started taking my training seriously. I don't think I've had a patch of time where I I would honestly look back and say I haven't been consistent. It's it's over ten years now. Exercise for me, even though I've always disliked it, has never been the the hard part of of so, body transformation for me in terms of consistency. So then how is how is it possible for someone who professes to dislike exercise so much, how have you remained consistent for so long? I think for me it, it was able to do that by making it a non-negotiable quite early on. Why is it a non-negotiable? I think it's a non-negotiable because it's, it has to be done. In terms of body transformation. Does and it I, though? Yeah, and I knew straight away early days I sort of knew – Okay, I see that I see the benefit of this. I understand now why weight training is important. I was educated on that by you, Matt, um, really early days, because before that, I never really understood the benefit of weight training with body transformation. I I understood when you explained it to me, and I could buy into it. And also, I think maybe just coming from a background of playing sport and being active 
in my younger years, it didn't scare me to do it. And maybe because I, I picked it up quite quickly as well. So it's obviously always easier to buy into something when you maybe naturally are able to pick up the movement quicker. Um, maybe that's why as well. But I just, for all of those reasons, or maybe some of those reasons, I feel like I bought into the weight training is the path I need to go down very early on. And I feel like to make things a non-negotiable, it's a lot easier when you've bought into the benefit and the why behind it. So I think that was a big one. But also for me, I felt like because exercise wasn't foreign to me, I didn't do it well (laughs) before that, but I was still trying to do something and I'd gone through patches in my life where I did say have other trainers or I did try to, you know, be more active and and lose weight that way. Who's the best trainer you ever had? Well, is that a trick question? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I think those in the long long answer would be some of the reasons why it was probably easier to become a non negotiable for me. And I didn't hate it enough for it to be something that I put away. I'll tell you why that is, because you had a reason to do it. Well, the reason to do I mean, it. Exercise also. is a tool, isn't it? Ultimately, it's a tool. Yeah. And I say I hate it. It's not like it's like a deep-seated hatred of it where I would avoid it at all costs. It didn't It didn't spark my anxiety. It actually was quite good for my anxiety a lot of the time because it allowed me an outlet to go and do something different and to sort of switch off in a way from thinking about everything else that's happening it allowed me to focus on something else, especially in those early days where I was learning the movements because I was really having to pay more attention to how to do these movements and and um, how it felt on my body. So it was almost a way of switching my brain off from overthinking in a lot of those other respects. So that also helped. Can I share with you an observation, mm-hmm. both as as a professional and as your husband? I don't think you hate it at all anymore. I wouldn't say that I hate I, doing. I think you're in that middle bit where you don't you don't get super pumped and like you don't wake up in the morning like, okay, I'm going to kill those deadlifts today. No. I don't think you dread it anymore either because when you and I go to the gym together and you're like getting into it, you can you've got this glint in your eye of like I am yeah. a boss ass bitch I, and I'm just taking care of business. I here. would agree with you. I don't hate going to the gym, I just dislike the idea of having to do it. But once I'm there, it's like anything. You like you dislike the idea of having to do it. But once I'm there, I'm fine with doing it. I would definitely say I hate the idea of doing cardio. When I say I hate working out, it's definitely more leaning towards cardio mm. because I hate the idea of doing cardio. Mm. I think what just from – I'm not going to put words in your mouth. This is an observer, an external observer. What helped you at least move to the middle ground where you don't, you may not hate it as much as you claim. You know, I'm not going to say you love it, but having structure and having a plan and being taught, okay, this is what I'm doing. This is how I'm doing it. This is why I'm doing it. Kind of makes it a little bit easier, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Versus, versus walking into a gym and being like, cool. What the hell am I going to do today? I actually hate that. That I do hate. Mm. That would fill me with more anxiety. So I think you're 
you're on the money there. Yeah. That would fill me with much more anxiety going into a gym, not knowing what I'm going to work out, just wandering around trying to figure out what to do next, then trying to figure out how to use the machine mm. or the, the weight to try to do the action. That would fill me with more dread than going in there and having a plan, mm. having videos to watch or having structure, you know, structure to do and – just doing it, like yeah. Ask you a weirdly specific question. Yeah. Because this is how I get down. If you were to go back twelve years ago and met yourself back then, what advice would you have given yourself twelve years ago to move past your at the time intense dislike of exercise? Advice. What's your pro tip for you 12 years ago to like, hey, this is, this is what you should do to get past this? Um, that's a good question. Mm. Question without notice. Mm. Oh, there's, <laughs> there's more coming. I would say that the first one that comes to my head, yep. and I might change my mind tomorrow if you ask me the question again, mm-hmm. but I'll just go with whatever the first thing that Gut came feel. to my yeah. mind was – the better at these movements you get, the less you'll hate it. Mm. So practice on getting better at the movement and understanding the structure and then you will hate it less. Is that the same advice you would give to someone who is either terrified of exercise or just intensely dislikes it? Like what? Same sort of advice you'd give there? I think the same sort of advice I'd give someone who's like afraid of exercise. Yeah. I think you'd have to understand what they're afraid of specifically, but most of the people I've heard of in the past that are afraid of exercise, more overwhelmingly it's either they're afraid to exercise in a gym space where they feel judged Mm. or they're afraid of injuring themselves. And I think if it's one of those two things, then again the same advice would apply. Like if you really focus and get good at the movement that you're doing. How do you do that? Practice. Practice do you, by doing. How do you know what movements you're going to do? I mean, isn't half the issue walking in the gym? Like you, you used to say it yourself, you go well, to the gym. That's why I said structure. Mm. So you need structure and practice. Yep. So, yes, you need to have a structure because you need to go in and know what you're doing. And you need to structure your workout properly so you don't get overwhelmed and nervous. And then you also need to then find those movements and practice them. Because then the more confident you are about doing that program and the more confident you are about doing the movements themselves, the less you'll be afraid and the less you'll hate going. This is repetition really, isn't it? Just doing it over and over and over again until you just become like, okay, I'm familiar with this. Yeah. I mean, that's when it comes to weights. Obviously, as I said, I still hate cardio way more than I hate doing my weight training sessions. Mm. I hate cardio with a passion. But – you still do it. It's not because it's hard in terms of hard to figure out how to do it because a cardio session could literally be jumping up and lying down, lying down on the floor and then jumping up on your feet and then lying down on the floor. If you did that for half an hour. Up and down for half an hour, Trust yeah. me, it's going to be really hard. Yeah. So it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out how to do cardio. Well, However, to be fair, easy to say when you've been taught how to structure it. But all I'm saying is even if you went for a run, mm. technically, like yeah. if you went down to the base level of doing cardio, Go move your body. it's not as technical mm. as lifting weights is mm-hmm. often. Mm-hmm. I still hate it 
but that's because it's not because of the technicality of it. It's because it's the way that it makes me feel. Mm. So I think you just got to figure out why you hate or afraid of whatever exercise you are and then work backwards from there. Fair. Anything else you'd add to this topic or we move on to the next one? I'd also just point out that even though I hate doing cardio, I still do it. Why? Because, again, you've got to buy into the reason why you're doing it and what the benefits are. So if you don't understand what the benefit is that you're trying to get out of it, it's going to be really hard to consistently do it. If you're also not understanding what goal you have from doing it, it's going Mm. to be really hard to consistently do it. So I think those two things are the things that you point out the most, but also it's okay not to like it. You don't have to be the person that takes a selfie on your 5K, 10K run and puts it on social media and talks about what a fabulous day. No. If I did that, you'd see me crawled up in the gutter like crying because I'm so tired and my body hurts Mm. and it's, it's not a fun day. That's not a fun day to me. So you don't have to love it. You just have to know the benefit from it and what you want to get out of it. I think I think for people like you, you understand that exercise is merely a tool and you have a reason to use the tool. Yes. I'm using the tool to achieve X outcome. And that's okay. Just like it's okay for people who genuinely love it and couldn't think of a better way to spend their day. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's fine too. Yeah. I don't care. I don't yeah. care if you like it. I don't care if you don't like it. Mm. You like it more when you've got a reason to do it. Yeah. Cool. Anything else there or are you happy with that? All right. Next one you got here is a little thing we like to call emotional eating. Mm. What is that? I've never heard of it. Do people <laughs> like us emotionally eat? This is new to me. Yes. Um, we've done an episode on emotional Have eating. Have we spoken about this before in the past? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I won't get too deep into it. but Please do. Emotional eating is, um, to me, I have never actually looked up the, a formal definition of, of it, but to me it's basically eating because of an emotion you're feeling. So mm. you are eating as a reaction to feeling emotion. It's emotional response. So yeah. whether that be emotion of happiness, sadness, anger, anxiety, stress. Um, boredom. Boredom. There's a lot of different emotions that can become into it, mm. both positive emotions and negative emotions. It happens to both. But for whatever emotion – you will eat as a reaction to. And then sometimes it's also unconscious. So sometimes actually unconsciously eating as a response to a certain emotion. What emotions have triggered off emotional eating for you in the past? Mine's always been, mine's always been on the negative side. Okay. So whether that be boredom or stress tends to be where I would go to um, food. I would say that I probably never did it unconsciously. I knew I was eating as a response. My unconscious part of my emotional eating came from the amount I ate. <clears throat> so I would not realize often how much I ate in those binging sessions mm. until afterwards. And then you look back and you think, Shit, did I eat that entire tub of ice cream? Yes, yes you did. You did. <laughs> um, so it's probably that that was my sort of area of unconsciousness was the amount that I would eat. I knew that I was reaching for usually sweet things. So um, it was usually chocolate, ice cream, lollies, these sort of things Mm. that I would reach for um, when I was having these moments. Um, And, yeah, unconsciously eating a lot. 
How old were you when you think this was an issue? Hmm. I don't have a great memory from when I was a kid. I I have a very spotty memory. I don't know. There's a lot of people out there. Matt is one of these people who can remember everything from quite an early age. I have have a very yeah, good recall. Weird recall. You have like a very that. good yeah. recall. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't have that. I have a spotty um, memory from well, when I was younger. Teens or preteens? I'm going to say it was. I, I I would say preteens. I was never. I was never a small child, mm. so I ate a lot always. I was never, you wouldn't look at me as a child and say, oh, my God, that child's obese. However, I was never a super slender child. Um, And then obviously I got bigger through going through puberty and then I got bigger again after that. So um, I I would say, yeah, it would have happened probably pre-teens would be my guess. But, um, yeah, I I think what sort of helped keep my weight at bay when I was younger was that I did play a lot of sport. Mm. So I played netball, and um, which is quite big here in Australia. I don't think it's big everywhere um, over the world. Very so active sport. You may or may not have heard of netball. A lot, lot of movement in netball. But a lot, a lot of movement, a lot of running. So that was the one thing that did help when I was a child keep my mm-hmm. weight at a fairly okay level. Um, but, yeah, I did eat a lot. Mm. Okay. Do you think you've improved? Yes. In what ways? I think with this, the the biggest thing was me for me was really um, recognizing it. I think once I recognized it and I could be really honest with myself about what I was doing and why I was doing it. Honest how? Just, just honest by rec- like admitting to myself what I was doing. You call yourself out on it. Yeah. Yep. So it's just. I think that was part of the the biggest thing for me, and then um, awareness for me with that one was the biggest key. As soon as I was aware and really honest with myself about what I was doing, what prompted you to become aware and honest? How does one change from this sort of unconscious emotional eating and just binging out like a superstar to hang on, this is fucked. What am I doing? I think part of it is just recognizing the pattern in the first place. You've yeah. got to recognize pattern. You've got to want to change. Really? Because well, you're not going to start recognising a pattern unless you actually see that there could be a problem here. Do you think, does, like you told me, does this start with being open and honest about, hey, I'm not happy with the way things are? Yeah. Okay. Was that the same for you? Well, yeah. I mean, it never would have even crossed my mind to really think about it if I wasn't unhappy with the way that I looked. Yeah, okay. So it starts, you know, with being unhappy with the way that you look mm. and then you've got to work backwards in terms of, well, how do I change the way that I look to make myself happier, but then what am I doing that's sabotaging that for myself? And okay. then yeah. you sort of work backwards from there and then it's about really identifying your bad habits and just like any other – just like like emotional eating is just another bad habit realistically. So it's just sure a is. it's a habit that you get into because you're, you're trying to soothe yourself. You're Did trying you- to – Basically, it, I mean, to me, it's no different to say somebody going out and drinking. It's a soothing and emotional response. Um, Medicine. Some people, some people go the opposite way and stop eating, mm. 
And that's their yeah. way of soothing an emotional response and taking control of an emotional situation. So it's really a psychological thing that we start to put in place and it's to soothe ourselves or it's to protect ourselves or, you know, all these things come into it and then you've got to figure out why, you know, once you figure out that it's a problem, you've got to figure out then patterns. Why am I doing it? When do I do it? And then you've got to start to break those um, habit loops. Are you reading my mind? I don't know. I was just about to say, if you, you, know, you talk about you know, emotional eating is a bad habit and we all have bad habits and you are correct. Like you break it down, like using the habit loop here, like cue, routine, reward, like emotional eating is just classic habit loop. Yeah. Isn't it? So, you know, like for you, cue or trigger, what, negative situation, stressful day. Yeah. You tell me. Like, I mean, that they're, they're really in it for me and, that, that, and that's my – that's my story of emotional eating. Yes, there's going to be always times where for some people it's more than just a bad habit. So I'm not saying that emotional eating or any sort of self-sabotaging style of behavior is just a bad habit. Sometimes it's more than that. Well, the- but for me and for my experience, then I feel like it was it was just a habit I got into to try to comfort myself and – Definitely it was one of those things where I, I just had to identify what was holding me back with the help of with, – with your help, Matt, really at the start because as my trainer in those early days, that was part of your role was to help me identify what's holding you back. And, you know, mm. you taught me the importance of looking at my habits, applying the le- lessons from the habit loop mm. and trying to come up with, a, you know, a – a workaround. I do agree. Actually, I do agree with you. Uh, emotional eating is just a bad habit, but the complexities can vary because the triggers can be wide ranging oh, yeah. and fairly deeply ingrained oh, in yeah. some people because, yeah, sure, I mean, an emotional eating binge can be as simple, you might say, as, oh, shit, my pants feel tighter today. Stress. Oh, yeah. fuck this. This is not working. I'm just going to go and smash a whole bag of sausage rolls or whatever it might be. But it can be more complex than that. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. Uh, it can sometimes be talking about self-sabotage. Some people have a fear of failure. Some people have a fear of success. Yeah. And I think, as I said, emotional eating for me was always on the negative side. There's some people out there that will emotionally eat for positive things that happen in their lives. Mm. Um Boredom is a really big one that I think a lot of people go through and that was definitely in there for me as well. So it wasn't just stress or anxiety. It was also boredom. I was bored. I would eat. And I think for me as well, I got in that cycle of I wasn't super happy with the way that I looked. I didn't go out very much. Mm. So when I was in my early, you know, 20s and um, late teens to early 20s, I never went out to clubs really or bars or socialized in those sort of environments very much I think I fell back on the fact that my work was on weekends it was often nights so I I sort of got out of doing that now was is was that an excuse at the time yes but there were still nights I didn't work that I could have organized to go out and I just didn't want to because I wasn't happy with the way that I looked and I wasn't confident with the way that I looked so I would sit at home and that's where boredom and self-pity and, and that sort of thing would kick in. And that, for me, was the times that I would really binge. 
How much do you think you've improved at this over the last, like, 10 years? Oh, it's night and day. Really? Yeah. I would never sit here and say that I am never going to emotionally eat again because I think that's... You're a human being for starters. Completely unrealistic to try to claim. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I've cured myself. No. I will never claim that. Yeah. And there is, over the last, say, 10 years, there's 100% been plenty of times where I have fallen back into this. But it is night and day for where I was. So... It is something that I'm much more aware of. I can pick up that I'm doing it on my own now. It's not like I have to have somebody else point it out to me. It's something I just know when I'm I'm really? doing it. Yeah, absolutely, fully aware. What at what stage would you recognize it? Like now, like how 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 can you do this? How can I recognize it? Yeah, like well, you look at it now. You said that it's a night and day improvement, and you can now recognize when it's happening. How? Because this also ties into advice you give to someone in a similar situation. Like, how can, how do you how do you pull yourself out of that? Because I think it's all about recognizing what your triggers are for me. Okay. So my triggers I knew were boredom, stress, and anxiety. Yep. So I know that if I'm sitting on the couch or something like that, I'm, I'm well. To be honest with you, my life now I'm very rarely bored. But if we're always so busy doing something, I'm very rarely hiding myself away. And bored. We are on the go. So. That one isn't happen as frequently, but mm. if it does, it's usually because like, I can pick it up pretty quickly because I'm searching for something, like I'm getting up going to the fridge multiple times in a night. Mm. I've got no reason to get up and go to the fridge multiple times in a night. Um, I think it comes back down to having more structured awareness of, of what I eat in general. So if I've got more structure around what I eat for throughout the day, I know – I can pick up something that's happening outside of that very easily. So my normal routine would not make me go to the fridge multiple times after dinner. That is just not my routine now. Mm. So it's very easily for myself to be able to pick up, hang on a second, <laughs> what am I looking for exactly? And then you, I can think about how I feel right now. And then when it comes to stress and anxiety, those things I do get still. Um, because we are, as I said, we're very busy people. We run, you know, businesses and it's it's busy. We have things that happen in our personal lives that keep us, you know, busy. And well, it's part of adulting, isn't it? There's there's stress and, and, and challenges involved. Like it's, it's part of life. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think the biggest challenges for me now where I'm at would probably be less boredom and more stress and anxiety yep. and keeping the, those things under control. But again, I think for me, I've been dealing with those two things as a part of my everyday life now since I was a teenager that I've come up with the knowledge now of just making sure that I'm really present and aware and I know when I'm feeling anxious. And it's a different feeling. It's hard to explain. For me, I know when I'm feeling anxious as opposed to when I'm feeling stressed. I can't, it can't really articulate to you exactly what the differences are for me, but I know, I know what the difference is in the, in the way my body responds and, and the way it makes me feel. So I know whether it's stress or anxiety I'm feeling. And I know then that I already am sort of like my red light of warning goes on automatically. Cause I know if I don't, focus on this and deal with it or talk to you, Matt, or talk to somebody where I can talk about what's stressing me out or causing me to feel anxious, 
I already know that that's where I would, if I just let it go, that's where I would end up, binge eating. So I think for me, it's just having those people around me that I can trust and knowing my body, knowing what I'm feeling and knowing, okay, I actually have to talk to somebody about this now because if I let this go, if I just try to bury this, it's going to be a problem. Sounds like you actively take control Mm. of the situation and assume responsibility. Yeah. You proud of yourself for the improvements here? Yeah, I am. On this list, there's a few things on this list. Yeah. Is this the biggest one? Um, yeah, probably. Yeah. I, I think that... Maybe I should ask you this after we've gone through them all. Yeah, let's go through. <laughs> let's keep going. So what advice to give to someone that knows that emotional eating is a crutch for them and is a genuine thing that holds them back? Where do you start? I would say start small by literally just trying to be aware of your triggers. Yeah. Like Agreed. don't don't listen to the entire thing that I just said and think you've got to do all of that. I mean <laughs> that has taken me years to get to that to get to this point where I can really know all those things. I think try to strip it back and focus on one step at a time and the first step for me is just trying to figure out what your triggers are. What is the feeling you're feeling? And is there a common theme of when you feel it mm. and what you do as a result? So once you're starting to to find out those things and become more aware of yourself and what your triggers are and then what your routine is, then you can start to move on to the next steps of actually looking to put things in place to help yourself. I wouldn't say to fix it because you're not going to fix it, if improve. that makes sense. You improve. You're, gonna, you're going to help yourself by putting things in place, but you can't put things in place until you really recognize the feeling and the routine that you have from that feeling. I couldn't agree more as someone with a history of emotional eating, but more from the victory slash celebration eating side of things. I I think you're on the money. Step one is, well, okay, what sets this off? Because it, it... Solving problems starts through awareness. It's awareness. Doesn't it? 100%. And what you're talking about is very personal to you. Mm. So you can't even listen to somebody else's experience and say, I'm going to do what they do because their triggers, their feelings are going to be different. Well, look at you and I. We've got different triggers. Correct. Don't we? And I can't sit here and really articulate to you the difference that I feel in my body Mm. between when I'm feeling anxious and when I'm just feeling like stressed. There's, there's a range for me, I feel personally, between worried, stressed, and full anxiety. And, I, and I've and i got to the stage now where my body will tell me where on that range I'm at and I can adapt accordingly. I can't articulate that to somebody else because I don't know how to put it into a feeling like that into words and also it doesn't make any sense to do it because it's going to feel different in your body and the emotions are going to feel different and your emotional reaction is going to be different. So... That's why you can't take somebody else's path and just say, I'm going to follow this. Mm. You have to be aware of your own feelings and your own emotions and your own triggers and your own routines and then come up with a plan to help yourself from that. But the, the second thing I really want to fixate on is please, please don't try to do this all at once. Give yourself a break and take your time to get it right because the more pressure you put on yourself to get this right, and the more things you you put on yourself to try to fix straight away, the worse the worse this is going to get for you. 
Would you also say don't try and fix this always by yourself? I would say for me personally, I couldn't have I could not have worked on this without having somebody to help me. So me personally Good old no. fashion support, yeah. I, yeah. I absolutely needed support. I, I think, still need support on this. Well, humans are emotional emotional creatures. It's like I know I've been doing this for a living now for I'm coming up on thirteen years this year since doing it starting doing this professionally. The entire time I've been doing it, been obviously been exposed to many, many, many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. Literally on one hand will I tell you the people that I've met who don't emotionally eat, they eat for fuel, only for fuel. Yeah. It's it is we're talking less than three. Yeah. So it's it, and um, by the way, I'm not on that list. No. So I'm, I'm not saying I'm immune because it's it's part of it's part of being human. And I think you're right in that it's a very personal thing. The habit loop is universal. Yeah. You know, cue routine reward that 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 structure is easily applied to anyone and any type of emotional eating. But within the cue routine reward is going to look different, isn't it, from yes. person to person to person? Yes. But I think a generalized recommendation, you can say, you can almost say this pretty much for anyone with this, like create awareness first. Yes. And then you go from there. Yep. Anything else you would add to this before we move on? No, I don't think so. Well, I should tell you, we're going to move on to the next one. And I think the next one should probably be the last one for this episode because otherwise we're going to be here literally all day. Because I've we've, too much. You have not. There's... You're not talking too much when you're being helpful. Yep. So I disagree. However, if we were to attempt to go through this list today, we will be here until the end of next week. Okay, let's not do that. So, so good news, season nine gets longer because <laughs> we're going to break this up into a second parter. Okay. If we need to, we'll do a third parter. So let's just do one more yep. and then wrap it up and come back and, uh, yeah, we'll do, we'll do another part. Playing off of emotional eating, proximity eating. Yeah, this one does definitely play off. So for me, it they sort of go – for me, they've sort of gone hand in hand. What is proximity eating, Courtney? So proximity eating is really just eating because something's in your proximity. So it's eating because something's easily accessible. So it's eating because it's there. Goes back it's to the – It's a simple way of saying it. What is – please, as a reminder, what is the rule of proximity? If it's, if it's there, you will eat it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kind yeah, of simple, like, isn't it? Yes. So proximity eating is basically that. So if if it's nearby, you can eat it. If your favorite style of food is nearby, you will eat it. So I'm not saying that all foods. So yes, if 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 there's a ta- if if there's a box of broccoli on the kitchen bench, I'm not going to eat it. <laughs> For me, it would be like if there's a bag of licorice. There yes. is no risk of me eating it. No. <laughs> However, it really comes down to your favorite style of food. Mm. So if there is anything sweet, like cookies. Or chocolate, or let's look at you. If there's buckets of ice cream in the freezer, if there's ice cream in the freezer, I'm going to eat it. Mm. If there is um, blocks of chocolate, chocolate, as I said, cookies, slices. If there's um, even like when it comes to meals style food, if there is some sort of style food that I just love, like pasta or. I'm just trying to think what else, like roast potatoes. Like if they are there and if I them am falling into that emotional eating style, 
I will eat it quickly. But this one also for me is big on the boredom thing. Like I feel like proximity eating comes down to a lot of boredom. Mm. Like if you are bored or if you're not paying attention, you'll just eat what's closest to you. Um, and it does tend to be less of those those uh, things that need to be warmed up or something like that because what it is about, it's about quick. Convenience. Convenience, usually unconscious style of eating. Just so grab and chew. It's not going to usually be those pastas or roast vegetables that I love in the fridge because that involves more effort to actually prepare, like heat up or get get ready. The really the main proximity eating factors are going to be those things that are literally readily available. Snacking? So the chips, yeah, it really comes down. It is snacking, isn't it? So it's the chips, it's the biscuits, it's the the, the chocolate. It's the things that are literally right there, no preparation required. No thought required. No thought required. Mm. It's just that you're going to grab it and you're going to and you're going to eat it. Yep. And this happens a lot. I find it's happened with me back when I had a big problem, obviously, with emotional eating. Mm. It had a big problem with me when I was had no structure to my eating. So I would go long periods of time without eating. And then, of course, what happens? I get hungry. Yeah. And it happened to me a lot when I was working. So mm. I'd work and I wouldn't stop to have an actual meal, which meant I, get hu- I would get hungry, which means every time as I worked in hospitality, every time I went into the kitchen and there was something sitting there, I would eat it. Yeah. yeah. So they would often have in hospitality kitchens, they often have food put aside for staff, the staff members. Yeah. Um, so I would just pick at it constantly. Oh, wait. When you got a good chef, good food. Good food. Put aside too, isn't exactly. It? Yeah. Um, but it's, again, it was the easy things that I didn't need to heat up or I didn't need to sit down and actually use a knife and fork for. This isn't usually what is considered proximity eating. Proximity eating is the little smaller snack style foods that you're taking a bite of you're taking a slice of chocolate you're taking um a bite of a cookie and then you're coming back and then you're taking another bite and then you're coming back you know it's that it's that unconscious often grazing grazing style of eating because it's there Mm. and it's accessible and it's easy to get to rule of proximity is hard to beat isn't it yeah so back when i worked in hospitality i think that was my my time of my life that I had the biggest problem with proximity eating. Yeah, okay. Because as I said, I had a big problem with not actually sitting down and having structured meals. So I'd go long periods of time between meals and then I would get really hungry. Well, this sort of leads into the next question for you. How have you improved at this? Because it sounds like you've improved at it. Would yeah. You, is that correct? Yeah. So for me, the biggest trigger for this was to actually just have structure to my meals throughout the day. Structure in what way? To have set meals that I was going to have throughout the day. So if I knew that today I have to sit down and eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner, mm. something as simple as that, like that's just not what I would do usually. So I'd have breakfast. I might have um, a small snack before I went to work if I was going to do, say, an afternoon, evening hospitality shift. But I'd never actually then have a proper lunch or a proper dinner. And I would just go through and then I would have maybe soft drinks, things like that, to have that sugar hit yeah. throughout the afternoon. And then I would get to like 9 o'clock at night and be hungry and I still wouldn't have dinner. And then I would just keep – I'd go and get some chocolate or I'd get one of the leftover desserts or I would have 
something like that. Something really easy where I just grab it, go, yeah. keep going. But for me, that also caused a problem is because you're not fully aware of how much I would eat because I'm having little bits constantly because it's there. I'm not fully aware of what I'm eating. It adds up, doesn't it? There's no nutritional value in, in that food when yeah. you're skipping dinner and skipping lunch to actually just have a cookie or chocolate. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's not filling me. It's not giving me any style of nutrients whatsoever. What's it doing? It's it's really pointless, but also I'm never, I was never fully aware of how much I was eating. So I could have got to the end of the night and you had said to me, what did you, how much did you eat today? And I would really, I'd tell you probably way less than I really ate because in my mind I was only having little things here and there. Isn't that classic portion distortion? Yeah. Uh. So that was probably for me when it was at my worst. So as I said, structured meal. So I really make sure I gave myself a goal of every day, whether I was working or not, I was having breakfast, lunch and dinner. Like I was actually going to sit down and have breakfast, lunch and dinner. And then when I was at work, I made sure that when I did have dinner, I actually went and sat down. So I wouldn't be standing while I was eating. So that for me was another thing where it like literally made me stop and take time to think about what I was eating and sit down and just actually eat. Sounds like it's a combination, correct me if I'm wrong, of like a structured slash consistent eating pattern and actual preparation of real food. Preparation of real food. And that's not to say that I didn't still sometimes like have to pick my food so I didn't take too long eating because obviously sometimes break times weren't big. Well, it was part of the structure, isn't it? Having food that could be cold. Having That's often what I would mm-hmm. do. So I would make sure I packed food that – I knew it was going to be nutritious for me and I didn't rely on just what was going to be left over in the kitchen for yeah. me to eat. And I also made sure that I packed food when I was on those bigger shifts that I knew that I could eat without having to to do too much preparation or sometimes even heat up at all, as you said, because sometimes it just wouldn't be Survival. time mm. to actually just sit there when other people are also trying to heat up their food and there's only oh, one, you know. The cue to the microwave when you work in an office and there's like one microwave and yeah. it's lunchtime. Ugh. Yeah. So that was often the things for me is just having those sort of goals but really setting myself a really simple goal to start off with, which was literally just have three meals a day, have three actual meals a day. And then that helped because obviously when I wasn't – when I was at work or – you know, working or whatever I was doing when I was busy and I was thinking about grazing on food that was just sitting in the kitchen, I knew that I had dinner to eat. And then I had that focus on of actually just eat dinner and then if you want to have one of those snacks, have one after. So I knew I had to set myself a goal of only having a sweet thing after my dinner. It can be easy to avoid those things when you're full. That's why, yeah, I did it that way. But my other thing, big thing that I did back then was just to stop buying a lot of that stuff for home. Mm. So it was hard because when I first started trying to change my habits, I was actually living at home with my family. This was, what, my early 20s. Yeah. So I was actually still living at home with my family at the time. My brothers were quite young. They were still going to school, Yeah, if I remember correctly, were, at the yeah. time. Yep. So obviously they – had snack style food, chips and chocolate and, you know, my parents, especially my dad is a big sweet tooth. So there was always a bottle of lollies 
on the table. There, there was always is. chocolate. There, there still, still is. is. There was always chocolate in the house. So at those times I had to come up with with boundaries for myself around it because I could not have it in the house because it's not my house. Yeah. So I had to work around it. Mm. But then when I moved out and we got our own place, Matt, it was it was a lot easier in terms of not having it in the house if we weren't going to eat it. So we set ourselves a rule that we'd only buy something that we wanted to eat, well, if that it, makes sense. Like I know you want to eat, eat everything, so that doesn't really make sense. But if we're going to buy it, we're going to eat it then and there. It's not like we're going to buy something and put it in the cupboard just in case we have friends come over and they might want this or something like that because we know that if it's in our house – we're going to eat it. I reckon that's the safest bet, and it still is the safest bet for us now. If it goes into our shopping trolley, it's going into our belly. Yes. Simple as that. Yes, that's yeah. a good way to put it. Yep. Yeah. So I think when people say as well, like, oh, but I've got kids or I've got this, I do understand because, yeah. as I said, we – like I was living at home when I first started this mm. for me, and I didn't have control over what was in the pantry either or in the fridge. So I had to really set myself boundaries on that. But that's where I found setting yourself boundaries or setting yourself goals to say, okay, if I want a piece of chocolate, I'm going to have dinner first and then I'm going to ask myself and a big glass of water and then I'm going to ask myself if I still want it. Ultimately, it's our responsibility to put ourselves in position to make better choices more consistently. Mm-hmm. It's like I was the same when I first started. I was living with with the fam. It's... You know, they have their food, I have mine. It's not their fault if I am lazy yeah, and take take what I would consider the easy way out and just eat the same shit they do. Yeah. So do you feel like you're sort of on top of proximity eating these days or it's in control? It's in control, definitely. I think it de- definitely feeds in with emotional eating. Yeah. So for me, it's in control. I feel like if I'm going through a phase where I'm – not controlling my emotions and that is triggering emotional eating, Mm. then definitely I would say that it still factors in because just like any other human, I can convince myself it's a great idea to buy that block of chocolate and I'm not going to eat it all in one night. And you may not eat it all in one night. It may be over the course of two nights. Correct. And I think now I've got to the stage where I can do that more. I can buy a block of dark chocolate and leave it in the fridge and eat it over the course of some time. However... It is still there, and if I'm, it does play into my emotional eating. So if I'm feeling stressed or anxious or upset, it it can then disappear. So I do still have to be mindful of how much proximity eating does play in to my emotional eating. That's why, for me personally, I don't buy blocks of chocolate. If I was if I was going to bring chocolate into this house, small, yeah, control the portions. I think there's there's certain things that you can control. So mm. for me, when I bring, say, blocks of chocolate in the house, they're not tend, they don't tend to be the style of um, chocolate where you can eat a lot of. So I try to buy quite high percentage dark chocolate. How high? So, I mean, I, I can easily eat 90% dark chocolate. And the good thing about I find about that is I can't – I couldn't eat a whole block in one sitting Ugh. because of how bitter it is. Mm. So I quite like it and I love it, say, a couple of blocks at night with a cup of tea. But – that's where sometimes I can get around it as well. I'm finding that chocolate fix that I like, but I'm not buying something that is so delicious and um, full of sugar that my brain just wants to eat the whole thing straight away. Mm. 
So it's little things like that that you can start to put in place for yourself yep. and to try and, and help your brain set up boundaries. Cool. Anything else you'd add there? I don't think so, unless you can think of anything. I can, actually. Uh, give a shout-out to the episode we did, season four, if memory serves correct, called The Rule of Proximity. Yes. Go listen to that. Did a whole deep dive yep. into this. Uh, that's all I've had. I reckon, I reckon we actually wrap this one up for now. We've, we've gone longer than you think. Okay. I reckon we come back for, for part two. Okay. We'll break it up. Well, thanks for sticking with us. I didn't realise that these were going to be so in-depth and talk for too long, but that's okay. These things happen. Well, when you have someone that just likes to ask a gazillion questions, these yes. things can happen. And we're going to adapt on the fly and we're going to come back for part two. So thank you for sticking with us for this longer than anticipated episode. Um, I hope you got something out of it. And Most importantly, yep. we're looking for the value, aren't we? That's right. So give a shout out to our Facebook group. Yes, the Weight Loss Podcast. We'll wrap this one up and we will come back next week. Yeah, we'll see you then. Thanks for joining us and we will speak soon. Are you ready to share your success? Head over to our website for full access to our show notes, resources based on today's topic, and links to our Facebook group so you can share your story with our hosts and many others out there who are looking to achieve and maintain their health and fitness goals. You can find all that and more exclusively at theweightlosspodcast.com. 